0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, this is Monique. And this is Sydney. And you're tuned into Monique and Sydney's Open Open Relationship. relationship. It's going to be the type of conversations that normally we're afraid to have out loud. Is it okay to be gay? Friends, how many of us have them? Mother and daughters, is it always all bad? The mind's like a parachute. It's no
1: good unless it's open. (laughs) That's what's
0: up. Well, hello, everyone. Hello, 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 hello. And welcome back to another episode of Monique and Sydney's Open Relationship. Now, we're trying to set this camera up in such a way for all of our babies on Periscope that y'all can also see brother Jeremiah Kamar. Can y'all see him? He back there. He right there. Okay. (laughs) Well, listen, I'm so excited today to do this show. Okay. I, I am Daddy, and, and I'm so excited that I done fucked up the whole opener. So I'm gonna start over, okay? Go in. Welcome to Monique and Sydney's Open Relationship. I am Monique.
1: And I am Sydney.
0: And we are getting ready to have conversations today.
1: We sure. are.
0: Daddy, gonna introduce it.
1: Well, we gotta introduce it to our man, our brother Jeremiah Kamara, uh, the man who does slave sermons on YouTube. You're gonna have to check him out. And uh, the reason why we brought him on today was to discuss our topic. Which is?
0: Bible teachings or slave sermons.
1: Hence, Brother Jerry Ramiah Kamara, welcome
2: to the show, sir. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. No no doubt.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I just want to jump right in it. Jump it! Okay, I want to jump right in it because the introduction for me to you was one night, I believe I was on the road. And about... (laughs) Two o'clock in the morning, I called, and I said, hey, Daddy, I'm back from the club, and we got to talking. And he said, you know, I'm watching this brother, Jeremiah Kamara, do his thing, and he's saying some real shit. And I would like to meet him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've never heard my husband see nobody on the Internet, Facebook, Facebook, none of that, did he say, I would like to meet them. And then when I heard what you had to say, I was like, okay, baby, it makes sense. Let's talk about it.
1: Let's talk about it. Just to give everyone a little background about you, sir, as to why, you know, we uh, are happy to have you here. Can you give folks a little background about yourself and your, your understanding of how you've uh,
2: come upon your ideologies regarding religion? Sure. Um I am the author of the book, Holy Lockdown, Does the Church Limit Black Progress?, as well as the book, uh, The New Doubting Thomas, The Bible, Black Folks, and Blind Belief, and the DVD uh, documentary movie entitled, Contradiction, A Question of Faith. Uh, I was born and raised in Ohio, and I was part of one of the largest churches in Cincinnati. And of course, uh, my parents, they weren't necessarily very, I wouldn't say they were Avid churchgoers, but we did manage to go to church quite often. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, like most people, I was searching mm-hmm. for something. You know, being in my early twenties, out there lost, I was looking. And and so uh, I moved to Cleveland, where I really was introduced wholeheartedly to religion and faith. And I would call my mother up, and she would say, "Boy, you're gonna be a preacher one day." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wound up attending later on seminary and school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a, a really uh, expected to become a preacher. Okay. And so um, I don't know if this, w- what you would say, was my pinnacle moment, because that's kind of like asking me when I grew up. I don't know that moment. But what I noticed was, as I was going to various churches, what was that these preachers were basically saying the same things I had been hearing since I was five years old. Nothing was different and that led me to question things mm-hmm. and start researching and going to church with a more analytical mind and so after that you know the rest as they say is history so here I am now
1: now i i've gotten the opportunity to 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 pick your brain some you know behind the scenes so i remember you sharing with me there was a pivotal moment when you were in seminary school and you had a conversation with one of the uh, would it be professors? Or yeah,
2: one of the professors. One right.
1: of the professors at that time that kind of shaped your understanding of religion. Can you? Would right. you mind sharing that?
2: Well, in seminary school, you really learn the tricks of the trade, so to speak. And I've spoken there twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I attended uh, ITC not on a, a scholarship or paid uh, program or anything like that, but I was invited by one of the professors because of my work. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that. Uh, they were preparing people really for the business of ministry. Mm -hmm. And it was told to preach to the itching ear. In other words, don't tell people what they need to hear. Tell people what they want to hear. Stick to the familiarity Mm -hmm. because once you start venturing out in waters that they're unfamiliar with, it makes people uncomfortable. This is why back in the day, you know, if you were to have an educated pastor uh, on the pulpit – you know, people would talk about it and say he got the learning, but he ain't got the burning. Yeah. You know I mean? So okay. we needed to be able to push those emotional buttons and make sure that uh, our uh, emotions were massaged and we had the entertainment factor. And so I learned that this is also a business and people tend to forget about that because I think 71 percent of the ministers especially in the African American community are sons of former ministers are are nephews and grandsons of former pastors and so it's mighty funny that if God calls you to preach and he's calling a lot of folks from the same <laughs> address you know so Okay. <coughs> wow. I wow. noticed that. So it it is a business so this to, this topic uh, Bible teachings or slave sermons I think it's a combination of the two. And uh, that's what uh, led me to create the mini-series uh, where I have 10 minutes or less episodes entitled Slave Sermons. And right now I'm up to like 46 episodes.
0: Mm. Now, I, okay, so I have a question. Not even so much a question. I got a, um, a text today, right? And in my phone, and Queen Cookie sent it. She's in here with us too today. She sent it, and it showed where at the top it had um, Mega Church. And you saw this big mega church. And then under that, it had mega pastors' home. And you saw this huge mansion. And then under that, oh, yeah. it had the population and the poverty level where that church is placed. Right. And you say, how can so much money go in and out of those doors, but none seems to stay in our communities where you see how these pastors are living, what they're driving, but you drive past the bus stop every Sunday, and you see that same elderly woman that looks like she's on her last, but you know she's going to give the church her last.
2: Uh, I was on the Michael Bazin show a few years back, and I think Michael Bazin took a survey, and he asked 100 people if you had an opportunity to tithe or to pay your light bill, which one would you do? Of course, this is a predominantly African-American station, you know, listenership, and seventy one percent seventy one out of hundred people said that they would tithe rather than pay their bills. so when you see this dynamic of these churches in these communities, even in commun- you know communities that are really uh, undesirable areas, the church is generally clean it 's generally nice, mm-hmm. it, people go there dressed up, it smells good it 's that flower in the midst of this garden that where you see all of this debris mm-hmm. it 's that rose. And so people conflate that with, this must be true, because look where I live, but look at this church. And part of the construction, the building of churches historically uh, have been monuments to heaven, have been buildings in the name of God. And so you see these magnificent structures. Mm -hmm. Why would they go through all of that if it wasn't true? But you're conflating the architecture with the reality of the the truth or the lack thereof, and those are two separate issues. Right. And so these churches exist, and you're talking about you know these mega churches primarily, uh, which actually started in China, by the way, but it it worked its way into the United States, and they're they're taught how to maintain these mega churches, how to it's something called kingdom. Order and spiritual alignment. These are principles taught by Mark Hanby, one of the main teachers of, and that means everything that goes on that church in that church has to be centered around the advancement of the preacher. He has to make sure that everything that is, is going on is for that preacher's um, come up, so to speak. And as a result, there's a, a statistic from Live Steves since 1980. We're talking 400 and $20 billion in aggregate that have gone to these churches. Well, what is this? 2016, that roughly equals $250 million a week mm. that goes to the church. And as I put a post on on, on Facebook the other day, where is our pot to piss in? Is where is it? our pot to piss in? And so
1: just to reiterate what you're saying, this is obviously not some ha- haphazard plan that has just come to fruition, and all of a sudden all this money has been coming and directed towards the church. This is um, a, a systematic plan designed to make sure that the church that these individuals are running are more so uh, an emphasis on spirituality, there's more so of an interest uh, uh, on financial gain.
2: Oh, absolutely. If you were to ask a lot of these ministers, would they get into it if there weren't any financial gains? A lot of them wouldn't. But what's interesting is that if, when you go through the Bible and you look at how, uh, this, uh, how God or the character of God in the Bible actually went to all of these people to go and preach. Go preach, go spread my word. You know, I come to you in this moment. They all were doing something. They all were working. They all had jobs. They were out in the field. They were tending to the flock. They were doing something when God came and spoke. But pastors have found a way to make this their full-time job. Now, I've spoken in many places around the country, right, and even the world, and been invited to speak. When I'm invited to speak, what do they do? They pay for my accommodations. So if God calls you and invites you to speak, then why do you expect the congregation to pay for the, <laughs> the, 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 the church, the buildings, the seats, mm-hmm. the PA systems, mm-hmm. and all that stuff? If you're called, those accommodations should have been met. Mm-hmm. But now you go out and beg the people to pay for that. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So it's not necessarily, like for instance, uh, Kenneth Hagan, for example. Craflow Dollar calls Kenneth Hagan his spiritual daddy. Because he set him up in the game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. There's an event in Tulsa, Oklahoma called the Azusa Street. I don't know if it still goes on today, but the Azusa Street was kind of like the, um, I guess, the NFL Combine, so to speak. Mm-hmm. This is where you see your talent happening, and all these preachers that are really performing. They say, and they have these scouts, these church scouts would say boy he would make a good candidate to make us a lot of money. Wow. So it's like American Idol for It's preachers. like American Idol for <laughs> preachers, exactly. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Do y'all
0: hear this? Okay.
2: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So a lot of these preachers start out at that Azusa Street and they have this come up and then they, you know, they're looking for this charismatic minister that can really bring it home and that can generate an audience. And so they they claim that it's God that's doing all this, but it is a business because so many of the people that are there and that are giving their money are in financial distress. Mm-hmm. And they chalk it up to, well, this is just a test. And we'll talk about that later. Remind me of the book of Job because that's where that comes from, whether consciously or subconsciously. But it's just a test. God mm-hmm. is just testing me. Mm-hmm. So all this will be over. And one of the most gratifying and satisfying things about uh, my work over the years is the elder, the elderly people that have called me and said, Jeremiah, listen, I've done everything. I have prayed. Mm-hmm. I've done what my ministry, I've given, I've visited the churches, I've laid hand on the sick, and I don't see any type of personal exemptions. Mm. I'm not exempt from pain. Right. I'm not exempt from bills. I'm not exempt from the things that everyone else is subject, subject to. You know, if I get... If I speed, I'll get a ticket as well. If I jump off a roof, gravity is going to affect me the same way. So there are no perks in terms of personal or group perks. They're just perceived benefits by what you believe, Mm -hmm. not what you really know.
1: Now, we jumped into the conversation kind of from a modern-day perspective, but as we've discussed, again, off-air, that all of what we see today didn't originate from the day could you share with folks how um, slavery uh, from 400 years ago and the way in which we look at God is still, um, it, you
2: still see the connection from 400 years ago to today? Well, there's a, there's a thin line between an earthly plantation master and an heavenly master. As long as you have a master telling you what to do. On the plantation, our original churches were just small little gatherings Mm -hmm. under white supervision. It wasn't until very late in the game that whites said, okay, we can't monitor all these little gatherings, but we're going to tell them what they should say. Mm -hmm. And if they break these codes, then they're going to get punished for it. Mm -hmm. We want you to teach pie in the sky that your reward is going to come in the next life. We want you to teach hard work uh, and Obedience to the master, you know, we want you to teach that this uh, part in the Bible where it says obey your masters slaves obey your masters in fear and in trembling Ephesians 6:5 is talking about you specifically. So they use that as mm-hmm. justification, mm-hmm. so here we are now justifying something that you know you can understand how we were coerced, and that's what brainwashing is is a it's a it's a, coercion. A, a, it's coercion, but you can understand the aspect of hope. Hope and faith are a little different, but too much hope is like water. water's good for you, but you can also drown in it and mm-hmm. drink too much. Mm-hmm. We needed hope we needed something to. Allay our predicaments. We needed to look forward to a better day. Mm-hmm. So you can understand how one that's enslaved would look forward to a day that uh, 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 um, a savior would come and escort them on a magic carpet and escort them to a better place. But now here we are in this modern day, and we're still clinging to that. There's an Asian proverb that says to carry. Uh, uh to to insist on a spiritual practice that once served you in the past is to carry the raft on your back after you have crossed the river. I so know. here we are still carrying that heavy raft. Mm-hmm. That's right, you know, so but it's rooted in this enslavement. Uh, it was mandatory that you were a Christian because Christian slaves were treated differently than non-Christian slaves. So in order for you to get less lashes, you had to subscribe to this belief, okay? And so this is what people don't really understand that you were made to believe. That's why it's make believe. And, and just in case it slipped by, folks,
1: could you share with them the, the passage again in Ephesians that they can go read?
2: Yeah, it's Ephesians 6 5. Ephesians 6 5, and it goes a little further, but mainly 6 5 and 6 6 were pretty much summing up as to how. You are to obey your master as you obey Christ. Mm -hmm. You were supposed to be your earthly master, your earthly master. So, you know, when blacks left the plantation, we stayed true to that. We turned around and volunteered our services in the name of sharecropping. Mm -hmm. We stayed true to the church because we gave the church the credit for liberating us when it really wasn't. It was politics. Uh, And that's another subject too: the civil war, all that stuff, how that took place. But it was a political thing. It wasn't Jesus. But, you know, Abe Lincoln, who allegedly, and that, again, is another subject, freed the the, the, the enslaved. I don't say slaves. I say the enslaved mm-hmm. because slaves makes it absolute. No, they are human beings who were enslaved. But Abraham Lincoln was called Jesus. Mm-mm. Okay, people wanted that. their last names to be Lincoln, right. to be Washington. That's why you see a lot of black people whose last names are Lincoln or Washington. They wanted to— take these last names because they had no real last names. But what better person to represent or to honor than the man that freed me in the name yes. of right. Abe Lincoln? Right. And,
1: and and there was another part of Ephesians that, uh, uh, just in paraphrasing, that kind of struck me, and it was that um, the master was supposed to be like the master in the sky to his slave and that he would treat him fairly and not... Uh, show any favor like the master in the sky kind of paraphrasing it but what it said to me was this is obviously the hand of mankind because the very fact that there's a slave and a master speaks to the disparity so there could be no fairness in that so right there there's a level of favor that's being shown That kind of nullifies that whole concept of how the master
2: can possibly treat the slave fairly because how could you be a slave and it be fair? There are instructions in the Bible on how to treat your slave. Don't beat them to the point of death. Beat Mm -hmm. them enough to where they can still serve you, but not to the point of death. You know, chop the foot off, but make sure you treat it and they can walk and give them a special Mm -hmm. boot.
0: Yes. Right. <laughs> you
2: no. Know, but you're still going to pick that cotton. Right. And you, the operative word <laughs> right. that you said was you still going to get that it, cotton. Get it. Okay. The operative word that you mentioned was man-made. Mm-hmm. And this is the, this is one of the hardest things for us to accept. Anything. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Right. Now, anything that is able to proliferate throughout the world in such fashion and hit every corner of the world has to have the same backings that. Even something in modern day would have to have, and that's money. That's politics. Those are, that's attorneys. That's uh, the approval of the government. It's not an organic book, and I don't want to give it away, but in my book, The New Doubting Thomas, I explain the role that the attorneys played. I explain the roles that the printing press uh, with Gutenberg, how he gave that up. I don't want to give it away, but all it is explained, but it's just to show you that there are reasons why. That this book is the best selling book and not, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or Thinking Grow Rich, or something like that has not been the best selling book. And it's fear. Fear is the grease that keeps the wheels of Christianity turning. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that aspect of fear, the whole dynamic of faith and belief changes. Give,
1: them a, give, give
2: the folks an example of what you're talking about. Well, let's just say fear, for example. A lot of people are afraid not to go to church. Listen, We're all sitting up here in this studio. We've all had questions. Mm -hmm. We've all wondered. But we did something differently than most people. We've wondered out loud. We've asked out loud. Mm -hmm. Yes. But you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to just believe. Yes. But, you know, know, belief is like a wooden plank with some missing screws and nails, and the nails that are there are rusty. It's a three-legged table because all belief means— is that you accept something to be true. Mm-hmm. Not that you know that it's true, but I accept it. This is what I've grown up on. Mm-hmm. So there's this fear, even amongst the the rich and the poor, and I'll give you examples of both. Mm-hmm. The rich, oh, I'm going to keep on believing, because if I don't, and this is where the book of Job comes in, mm-hmm. if I stop believing God's going to take all this away from me like the devil took all of that, took all of Job's sons. You know, that's a fairy tale because everything was seven, seven sons, seven this and seven this and mm-hmm, seven that. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, a fairy tale. Job, by the way, is one of the oldest books of the Bible. But if I'm rich and I'm elite and I'm, an, I'm a celebrity, I'm an athlete, I got to continue to point to the sky and give praise because I could break my leg, which happens to you anyway. Mm-hmm. I could do this and all this could be taken from me. And then the poor says, all I got to do is not curse God. All I got to do is stay in there, not question God. That would Mm -hmm. be questioned Mm -hmm. nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I don't question this. When I was little, I questioned that. And my mother put me in my place immediately. I have a part in the documentary where a man describes uh, God. He said, God, to me, growing up was a black woman with a belt. (laughs) <laughs> we were not allowed to question. We were not allowed to to, to express ourselves. Right. And that has been detrimental uh, to, to, to black people. So here we are living in fear. We are the most praising people on the planet, Africans in Africa, African-Americans here in this country. But yet we are on the bottom of every category. Mm-hmm. If it worked, if it were beneficial, why are we suffering to such degree? No one wants to face that bull in that china cabinet. No one wants to face this big elephant in the living room. But either we deal with this now or we're going to be waiting 10 years from now and still addressing the same issues until we get out of this delusion, this schizophrenic uh, mentality that we're in. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: And and here's what I find interesting for some of the people that's in Periscope. And I'm I'm just reading your comments as Brother Jeremiah is talking. And someone said, this show will be judged on Judgment Day because we're condemned. And then someone said, who made y'all Bible experts? And here's what I will say before the conversation continues. If you're listening... And this is the I think the issue that always takes place when you have those warriors for Christ, because I think you shut off from listening. If you're listening, no one is saying leave the church. All we're saying is do your homework and read it for yourself. Because oftentimes, if they say you want to keep something from us, put it in a book. The Bible's no different. And for those of you that are making the comments of, oh, my God, what are y'all saying? What we're saying is be unafraid to read. Be unafraid that if it don't make sense, it don't make sense. And like Brother Jeremiah is saying, they got us so goddamn scared, we're scared to even question it. Because some of y'all are saying, well, Monique, it's just the word. The word of what? And right. it's and to that point,
1: it speaks to a level. I'm sure, based upon how many times you've gone out, the man hours you've put in talking to folks. It, because in watching, you know, contradiction, watching the films and watching how you interview people. Um, Your deliveries of such where you pose the question and individuals who are deeply embedded in the faith have a tough time answering some of the questions because they're really coming from an open and honest place. And to your point, Monique, with regards to the people that are saying, you know, you're condemned and so forth, that somewhat speaks to the conditioning that Mm -hmm. Brother Jay is talking about because – we're afraid to have a conversation from a place of honesty. It's kind of like the parents that don't want to tell their kids about sexual intercourse because they think that may make them want to have sexual intercourse, not thinking that they may want to have sexual intercourse, and if, in fact, they decide that they want to do it, that it's important that they know about it and what to do and how to protect themselves. They're worried about the conversation. So this is an Open dialogue designed to, as we say, the mind's like a parachute. It's no good unless it's open. Exchange thoughts, and if you believe what you believe, keep on believing. Because if if you are an individual who you believe the Lord saved you from smoking crack, come on, we're gonna say believe in the Lord. If that's what it is that you believe in, however, can you understand when you read something in the Bible? in which the slave masters use and they're explaining to their slaves that you should worship and work for us as your uh, earthly slave masters like you would your father in the sky. Can you see how this would make an individual skeptical as to why will we be praising someone or a being that has essentially left us to our own devices by the very statement of one day he will return. Now we say God is everywhere, but one day He will return. Which and now I'm confused
2: because if right. He gonna return, right.
1: that means He left. Right. And if He's everywhere,
2: then that means that He's here and would not return. And well, you say I'm gonna meet my Maker, mm-hmm. but then you already said that you knew God. Come, Come on. on. But then you're gonna meet Him one day. Come on. So those those are contradictions too. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about this judgment, people that are judging. Well, you're going to hell. I mean. Just listen to that. Now, I don't know, I've never run across a believer who did not think that they were gonna go to heaven. Heaven is gonna be LA and Atlanta traffic combined. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? Right. Right. So so I don't know how you're gonna be able to navigate through that because everybody who (laughs) believes thinks that they're going to Right. And and what the tragedy is, is that it's like you're looking forward to this next life. It's almost like you, you, you're you looking forward to dinner. You haven't even finished breakfast and lunch yet. I mean, you know, you you got to finish that first. I am not going to cheat the life that I have now by preoccupying my time with where I believe I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church even admitted that heaven and hell were made up. They admitted it. They even apologized in the 1984 Catholic Encyclopedia for all the fables, for what have these fables profited us. They know wow. it's a game, but it was all about the money, even back then. Mm-hmm. Because when they, you know, they, you, know uh, you talk about the Crusades and the Inquisitions, because if you don't really know the Reformation period, all this other stuff is going to really confuse you. But during the Reformation period, you're talking about sin, which was an invention, people had to pay for the remission or the removal of their sins. Mm-hmm. So if they deemed you sinful, you had to come up with some money. And if you didn't have the money, you would get your property taken away. So this is not some holy book. This is a book that is put together by, it's a priestly dogmatic book. It's, it's by by priest and, and mob mobsters, as we would call it. Why do you think the Vatican is the most powerful country on earth. The mm-hmm. Vatican is technically a country. This right. little small area is a country. It could write one check in, in homelessness and in hunger and things like that, mm-hmm. but they bury these popes and stuff in gold. They have more gold, you know, in that place than they have found in all of the world, you know, in the last right. 150 years. Mm-hmm. So this thing, this whole thing about judgment and where you're going to go. Now, where, what what year were you born? Say you were born in 1960. Well, where were you in 1950? That's what death feels like. Right. Where right. were you in 1860 or mm-hmm. 1850? Mm-hmm. You weren't here. You're not dead when your heart what? stops. You're dead when your brain stops. You know, death is for can only be experienced by the living. Those who die cannot ex- come tell you anything about it because. You cannot experience non-existence. Right. So there's nothing to be afraid of. But the problem is, is that human beings are the only species that we know of that are acutely aware that mm-hmm. our time on Earth is limited. So we make up stories about foreverness and things like that. And so we have this fear of dying. But, you know, as Dan Barker said, he's president co-founder of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, Death is the good news. The good news is that you will die. Mm -hmm. Why is that? That sounds kind of counterintuitive. Well, let me explain. Because the most precious jewels on earth are the rarest. If you thought that this was your only life, we would treat each other with more dignity and more respect. Mm -hmm. But if you think that you have another one... (laughs) (laughs) You're more prone to misuse The life that Here it is What did you do with the time You had on earth Mm -hmm. What makes you think You're going to get another one To squander Mm -hmm. This is all a product of fear And the product of the master Instilling in you Don't worry about today Boy Mm -hmm. You're going to get yours in heaven Let us deal with all of these riches Here on earth and stuff like that Don't worry about today But the tragic Part about all of this is, is that when you question whether or not someone made the sun stand still, or a wagon circled a building seven times and it fell down, or someone parted a water, or someone walked on water was right. made of. When your brain questions that, that is your brain doing its job you are given all of these logical and analytical components of this very complex and intricate brain, mm-hmm. and then you're told not to use it. You see, <laughs> right. but if I was to smoke, you would comment on this organ. You would say, man, don't smoke. Smoking is bad for your lungs. But right. well, my brain is an organ also. So you're telling me not to think? Yes. So you're caring about this organ, but not one of the main organs that you have. So it's really a crime Can you tell the folks about the intelligent design concept? It's really not even a concept. It's something that people came up with, intelligent design. You know, rather than making up things, you know, either you don't know or you've studied, you've made strides like physicists, like uh, astrophysicists. You know, I would much rather be talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson to see what he has to say about this subject Mm -hmm. than a preacher who hasn't studied anything. But... This whole thing about, uh, and, and I don't mean to be, you know, diminutive toward toward ministers, but really, it's not that difficult to get a degree. You know, I could take, I could interrupt this program and and take 35 minutes and become an ordained minister just like that, and then go around preaching and say how God brought me up and, and is to come up and give me a storefront per, church on the west side of Chicago and make a lot of money. How can that happen, Jeremiah? Yeah, very easily. It's really no. It's really, you know, not not much to it. But where was I? <laughs> it, it don't get me started of, on this. It kind of reminded me of Eddie Murphy when he said, yeah. it's as simple as that. Right. You can get your degree. Now don't get me started, man. We, that we was deal with intelligent design. Intelligent design, right. I'm back on it. But listen, this God, first of all, you claim to know this intelligent being who's omniscient and omnipotent. He knows everything. And he's all powerful. You claim to talk to him. Now, if you're talking and you have a relationship with someone who knows everything and you talk to them on a regular basis, mm-hmm. you ought to be smart as hell. Smart as hell. Listen, I play piano. Okay. If I spent a half an hour with Herbie Hancock, my approach to the piano would be different from this point on. Right. Because I'm with a master.
1: hmm
2: I'm, I'm with Keith Jarrett. I'm with a master now. Mm-hmm. If you are with a master of all and you talk to this person, listen. If you were to sit up, you know, one of your family members, you, you know, you know a family member, you say, "Man, I talked to Bobby Sue and 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 uh, Bob, Bob Bobby Bobby Sue and and Billy Joe." But you know that there's no Bobby Sue and you know that there's no Billy Joe. You just ignore them and tell them to go continue to count the peas or whatever mm-hmm. like that. But if you replace those words, those names with Jesus and God, now all of a sudden you're legit. Mm -hmm. So religion is the acceptable insanity. It's okay that I hear voices in the name of religion. It's okay that I talk to myself in the name of religion. It's okay that somebody answers me back who I've never seen in the name of religion, but not in the name of Billy Joe or Bobby Sue, because Mm -hmm. now I'm crazy. So they don't recognize that there's a thin line between that kind of crazy and this kind of crazy. There's a movie, I don't know, a lot of people have seen this movie. It's called A Beautiful Mind. It was with Russell Crowe. And it was right. talking about John Nash, right? Mm-hmm. And John Nash was a professor, I think, at Princeton University. There was a revealing part of that movie, right, where uh, John Nash said, wait a minute, um... You know, he denied that he was crazy for years because he had two imaginary friends, Marcy and what was the other? Marcy and, um, oh, I wish I knew his name. Uh, Marcy was one of them, and he had imaginary. She was a little girl, mm-hmm. okay, and he had a grown man friend, mm-hmm. okay? These imaginary friends of his followed him throughout his whole life, and they gave him medicine. When he didn't take his medicine, they would show up more. One day, his wife was about to leave him. She was fed up. Well, she's going out, very dramatic scene in the rain. She gets in the car, and he jumps in front of her. And he said, she never gets old. She never grows up. He had come to the revelation that if Marcy was real, why is, this, why is she still a little girl? Right. This is the revelation we have to come to as black folk. If this is real, why are we still on the bottom? Mm -hmm. Why aren't we doing better? When are we going to grow up as a people and recognize that we are that beautiful mind Mm -hmm. that needs to come to that realization? Mm
0: -hmm. And that is, I believe, what we keep missing. I believe we are afraid to grow up. I believe we are a lot more comfortable with that master over us telling us how to think, how to feel, how to love, telling us their perception of what we believe it to be. Because even still, when you just said, and that's a perfect way to put it, why didn't Marcy's ass grow up? Why don't Jesus ever grow up? Like, Does it just stay the same always? And I think we are too afraid to deal with that. We're too afraid because... We're afraid to say I gotta stand on my own. I gotta think for myself. That's frightening. I don't Mm want to be accountable for that. So I'll either blame or praise. I'm either going to blame the devil or I'm going to praise God. But I won't stand up and take accountability for me. And that's the part Jeremiah for me that, as I tell Sydney, when I we travel the country and we're going to these different places, and you see us in despair. You see us with this look on our face of hopelessness, and it starts in the schools as far as elementary, where those babies are looking at me like, what? What do I have to look forward to? Right. And what I don't want to do is give them the promise of, baby, just pray. right. Because that just praying shit has gotten it's us got to, stop. to ground zero. Right. So for the people even in, in the, joining us for the show right now, and y'all are all saying, and you saying, Monique, I'm going to pray for your soul. Listen, please don't, because you may be asking for something different that I'm asking for and we don't say that to be nasty or mean but oftentimes when y'all walk around with the spear of I'm going to fight for Christ you're not even fighting for you right and then you live this life with a bunch of regrets because when you get to the last moment I was fighting for Christ all this time but I missed out on life
2: right and I died of the same thing that everybody else does I was broke the same way I did this the same way you know uh Sidney Monique let me ask you a question. If you went on Amazon.com, because and this is this goes to prayer, because everyone that's a Christian is gonna say, Oh, I know prayer works, God answers all my prayers. I don't want to call you a lie, so I'll use this analogy, okay? First of all, that's confirmation bias. The thousands of times that you've got down on your knees and nothing happened, you'll excuse and say, Well, it wasn't my time. Well, God knows best for me, because you know he didn't come, okay? So, But you're going to just count the times that you think that it did happen, okay? But let me ask you a question. When you go on Amazon.com, say you buy a vacuum cleaner, and this vacuum cleaner works sometimes. You plug it in, and, man, it just never works. It gets clogged up and all this kind of stuff. What kind of reviews would you write about that vacuum? One time you plug it in, and you were having some awesome special guests over, the president and his wife— uh, Barack and Michelle was coming over And that vacuum worked It cleaned up all that lint You gonna Everything. say praise God, God is good But you forgot about all the time Your cousin came over All, all the time non-dignitaries came over That this vacuum cleaner did not work mm-hmm. Would you get on Amazon.com And write all kind of Positive reviews about it But they do God, God never gets any bad press No matter what It's always good press And I want to ask people, which God are you talking about? Because if you say God is good, which one? Because there are 300 million alone in India, and they all think that they have the right one. (laughs) I'm sure there are a lot of people here listening. They Mm -hmm. have what's called, what is that, Google Google Earth? Right. All right, start from Google Earth, and then Google in your address, and it's going to zoom in over your house, your church. Right. Now start to scroll out. Start to zoom out. Now you're up in the cosmos looking at Earth from a cosmic perspective, mm-hmm. right? What makes you think that your little bitty church right there in that little corner on Main Street got, has the truth, but everybody else is wrong? That's the ego, and that is the arrogance of Christianity to, to believe that. Now, I have read the Bible uh, from cover to cover, specifically the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which a lot of pastors say, well, that doesn't count. Well, if that doesn't count, let's throw the Ten Commandments away. Let's throw Genesis away, which right. is a train wreck. Genesis mm-hmm. is, a, is a biological, geological, historical train wreck. Mm-hmm. But let's just say that...
1: You uh, mean the... The world being made in seven oh, days Oh yeah. yeah, yeah doesn't
2: seem feasible. No, man, Mexicans couldn't even make it in seven days, man. Okay, wait a minute. And you know how hard they work. <laughs> wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> if
0: you could out Mexican brothers and sisters and our Jamaican <laughs> brothers and sisters, Together you might get, might get it. do it right. Damn. <laughs> yeah.
2: But when you look at that, I say, which one? Now, I read it, and here we go, right? Uh, from Genesis all the way to Malachi. We're not even talking about the books that have been excluded, all that kind of stuff, which is another subject in itself. But there were only just eight to 10 pages without any type of allusions or references to fear or violence or death or blood or smite or smote or kill or destroy or evil or wicked. All of these terms. And the only time that the Bible took a reprieve from all of these allusions and references to violence is when they were described, when it was describing the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to make the Ark of the Covenant like this. I want you to put these purple curtains. I want you to lace it in gold. This is why you see a lot of purple and gold. I want this is made of acacia wood. I want a two by four. I want it this and that. And then as soon as the descriptions of the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle were over, it got right back to the gore and the violence. Mm-hmm. If you really read the Old Testament, it is no different than the wild, wild west. God gives standing orders, go kill, go kill the women, go kill the children, go kill their livestock, set their village on fire, leave none. Well wait a minute, God, as King Eliezer, King Eliezer uh, uh, and Moses had these orders to do, we've killed all the village like you said. look at numbers chapter 31 verse 17. We've done that, we killed everybody. Now we don't have any 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 women for I say we don't have any virgins left. We're gonna we kill what everybody. What should we do? Well, I tell you what. It's gonna be a festival later on in the night, y'all. So, and these women gonna be dressed really scantly. So, hide in the bushes, and then when you see one, you know, grab you one, like that. This is in the book. What part of good are you reading? Come on, Isaac Asimov, one of the uh, a very famous scientists, astrophysicists. He said the Bible, well read, is the perfect reason. For atheism or not to believe mm. when you read this, it will turn you off and turn your stomach. But we don't read. We go to church with as empty jugs waiting for these pastors who are charlatans and stylists who we think has God's cell phone number and his connection to God. We just trust them, like Creflo Dollar. I don't mean to pick on him, but they all are like this. You know, thinking, you know, if I stay close to my pastor right. and believe what he says, somehow I'm going to stay more connected to my to my, you know, to to God. Right. And this is the game that they play. Tithing is your covenant connector. But wait a minute, you're in church tithing so that you can come up financially. But any financial book that you read from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, to Think and Grow Rich, to Richest Man in Babylon, Babylon, to Creature from Jekyll Island, et cetera, et cetera, they tell you that the fastest way to wealth is to what? Pay yourself first. Mm -hmm. Mm. If you were to have paid yourself first, that 10% of your fruit that you earned, you wouldn't be having to pray your way out of debt in the first place. You would already have the financial freedom that you're praying to get right now. You're going to kick him it in is, the mouth like that? Oh, it's a game. You're going to kick him like that? I'm sorry. Okay.
0: And when you, when they have us so conditioned because someone just said, don't tithe and see what happens. Well, this is what I would pose to that person. What happened before we knew what tithing was? Were all those people condemned? Well, Did the cavemen go to hell? Did the slaves that didn't have no money, did they go to hell? <laughs> like, we got so caught up in this money, and everybody I watched, Jeremiah, well, me and Cindy, be up just clicking through the channel sometime late at night, and we'll see Peter pop off. We'll see the— current we'll send your <laughs> money in for that's your be, personal prep package. Just oh, $24. Come on. Red passage
2: of prep-pair, pair package. You be like, wait a minute. What did he say? That pipe the pamphlet? you know, Peter. I'm gonna let you finish. But you know, he got busted, right? No. no. Oh yeah, not several Peter, years ago. Hey, the man, job. Peter, popped off. Peter Popoff was busted. Uh, he had a device in his ear that was being people in his congregation or or people that were working with him were, were, were giving him signals. So you would come in and say, "Miss the lady over there in the, in a the, in the blue dress. Her name is." Uh, Clarita, and she was born in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And he would come up and say, I'm just gonna pick anyone. You come up here. Is your name Clarita? No. Yeah. So it's all a game. Listen, religion <laughs> is the gateway to gullibility. Oh. If I can get you to believe yes. that this that this happened and this happened, this was born of a virgin and he had 12 disciples, he descended into heaven, all this kind of stuff. I got a whole lot of stuff that I can get you to believe. Mm -hmm. But think about it. What's the crux of all of this? The sacrifice, right? Listen, I have a son. There's a lot of people listening have sons. You all have sons. Listen, did did God really sacrifice? God knows everything, right? According to the Bible. He's omniscient. That's what I heard. He knows everything. Mm -hmm. So did he really sacrifice his son when he knew he was going to get him back after three days? He knew he was going to rise. So if you knew he was going to rise, how is that really a sacrifice? When you sacrifice something, it's gone forever. That goat that you sacrificed is Mm -hmm. not coming back. Mm -hmm. But you sacrifice, but you're God, so you knew he was coming back after three days. This is your brain doing its job, and that's what religion has done to us. Religion teaches us to take the path of least mental resistance. Mm. That's what it does. Don't think, just believe, and that has been detrimental to our psyche. That has ha- hurt us academically. There is a, rarely a preacher sitting. You, you, and, you, and, you and me, we heard it, you know, from right from the horse's mouth. Tony Evans. Mm-hmm. I've heard I've heard T.D. Jake say it. I've heard uh, Walter Pearson say it. I've heard so many people say, so many pastors, big and small say, it don't matter how many degrees you got. It don't matter what kind of education you ain't got. G-. That is detrimental. It does matter. There's nothing wrong with being educated. There's nothing wrong with being intelligent. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. We're not saying it's going to guarantee you a job, but what an education will do, it will Put you in a position to where at least you have options. If you have nothing, I don't mean educated by a system here. You can educate yourself, Mm -hmm. which is really the best education. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing wrong. I'm not going to sit here and be anti-education, anti-intellectual, say it doesn't matter. If that's the case, let's shut the schools down, let's shut the hospitals down, and let's just pray. Because you really don't believe that anyway. Because if you did, your medicine cabinet wouldn't be filled with all these prescription drugs in the first place. You don't believe you're afraid not to believe. That's the mm-hmm. problem because when you get sick, you call somebody who had to go to school for 13 years plus.
1: And, and Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci was self-taught. He did pretty good for us, So What you think? I think so. Okay. So at the end of the day, it kind of seems like uh, one of the things you had mentioned was if you did a little bit of reading, do you think that part of the problem with a lot of the individuals that you run into who... And again, from where I sit, I don't care who you pray to. If it's benefiting you and it works for you, it's a wonderful thing. I guess what always has thrown me off is the individuals that are trying to pull you into the religion based upon the fear. But then when you share the dynamics of the Bible that really when you read it closely... It is a very violent book, and it the way in which we typically describe God and Jesus, do you think part of the problem is people haven't read the details of it to see how God and Jesus or God is performing in this book and the things that are being told to people because it kind of contradicts, no pun intended with your book, but it kind of contradicts the um, everybody's verbal perception of Jesus the written um, aspect
2: of God and how it you know works with the Bible right let's say for instance because I you know I've I've, I''ve I've had the gamut of responses you know over the years mm-hmm. I could pretty much tell you I've heard it all seriously I mean I'm sure there's some things out there but Jeremiah you don't know it's deeper codes it's deeper meaning man. Uh, it's esoteric it's 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 e- it's eccentric it's eclectic you 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 just on the surface that ain't what it re- okay let's say i did know the diff- the deeper meanings let's say that you do obviously since you claim to that i just know it on the surface i'm not looking at the the metaphysical aspect of the bible again what will it do are you going to live longer you going to look better You're going to be healthier. Your children not going to go to the prison. Is the homicide going to stop? Are you going to be healthier? Are you going to have less pain? Are you going to have less bills? What will it do? This is the point I'm making. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get into all that. Listen, we are social animals. Bonobos are one of the most selfless animals on earth. If they see a bonobo right next to them in a cage and they don't have a banana, they will break that banana in half and reach through that cage and share with them. A uh, who? Bonobo. What is a bonobo? It's a monkey. It's an ape. Okay. It's a gorilla. That's what's up, man. You just said
1: it real smooth right like I knew what a bonobo is. There you go. Like, a bonobo.
0: Right, a bonobo or right. bonobo? For you monkey bitches out there <laughs> listening, some <laughs> okay. of okay. y'all some bonobos.
2: <laughs> so here we are with this brain. supposed to be, you know, the highest, have dominion and all, mm-hmm. all of that. But when you look at all this dominion and you form a pyramid, that's ego instead of eco. Mm. We're part of the ecosystem that we're supposed to respect. Because if it wasn't for ants, this world would be totally different. They help the earth to breathe. If it wasn't for bats, you know, eating mosquitoes, we all of us work together. We're interconnected. But there's this thing, you know, getting back to intelligent design. How come, you know, here's this guy who knows everything, all right? And my chair is squeaking, so I apologize for that. Uh, but I'm excited, so I'm moving. But here's this God, okay, do you know the only thing that have killed more human beings than religion has been mosquitoes? Come on now. Mosquitoes has killed more human beings than any force, whether it be man or nature, more than volcanoes, earthquakes, wars combined. More people have died from mosquitoes. Why did you, if you did Take the time to create this little mosquito with this little wings and stuff. Couldn't you have taught us early on how to create some natural uh, repellent so that we wouldn't bit get bit? When so many have died from mosquitoes, couldn't you have just told us in the beginning to wash our hands before we eat? That would have saved millions of lives to just wash the bacteria off your hands. Instead, you're talking about, you know, Covered in your neighbor's wife and talking about all of these other things. I would have, so much of humanity would have been saved. You say, hey, just wash your hands before you eat. There's this little thing called a bacteria that gets in your system that will kill you. This whole intelligent design thing is erroneous. It's not even a concept. It's something that you know. If you just go and look at, there's this guy who thought that this design was so intelligent. What is his name? Um, uh, his name is um. Oh man, it's a monk Ray church. Ray Ray, not church, but what is it? Ray Ray Comfort mm-hmm. is his name. Look up Ray Comfort and the banana, and look at that. He was describing how the banana is perfect; it fits in our hands. It's great, intelligent design. Not knowing a banana and a strawberry and a watermelon and seedless grapes and broccoli, all these things are man-made. All of these fruits and vegetables that we think come from God, these are genetic manipulations that suited the taste of human beings to the point where we arranged them as such to, to our liking, just like dogs. I don't care what kind of dog you have. It's a wolf. <laughs> I've got a little white West Highland Terrier that is a wolf, but he's been genetically modified. You can't go anywhere in nature and find seedless anything. Right? Seedless watermelon, seedless grapes, and anything. And while I'm on a tantrum, speaking of watermelon... <laughs> We sit down, we, you know, we've been stereotyped as black people, we like watermelon. Mm-hmm. But think about it, there is nothing that the slave master could have given you that would have been more refreshing and have fed more people and been more quenching than a watermelon. Mm-hmm. You love watermelon. If they'd have gave you banana, it wouldn't have had the same effects. Or orange, but a watermelon is very very satisfying so every time I think about a watermelon instead of me praising God for this seedless watermelon that I'm about to eat that I know was genetically modified Mm -hmm. I have a thought for the cheap Mexican labor that break their necks harvesting watermelon it is a very hard crop to grow and harvest in the hundred degree heat Mm -hmm. you're throwing and slinging this watermelon Think the stores and the trucks that the drivers stayed awake throughout the night to bring you this good, ripe, juicy watermelon. You're sitting up here thanking your God over this food that is full of glucose, that is full of all type of, you know, substances that you can't even pronounce. That's going to kill you. And doesn't this God know that you love Him and He doesn't want you to get choked and doesn't want you to get poisoned? Wouldn't thanking Him one time suffice? you are already already thanking for breakfast, for lunch. Now you're thinking, just one time, he's got, he knows that, he knows you know he gave it to you. Yes. It's almost like Steph Curry. After every shot, including a free throw, free throw step, you're pointing up to the sky. This is delusion. And we will not be able to. Rise to our optimum level as human beings until we get rid of and discard the element of delusion in our lives.
0: Y'all, we talking about it. We are talking about it. Bible teachings or slave sermons? Because we will surely pray over some Popeyes chicken, won't we? Daddy, won't we? <laughs> we will hold hands. Man, we'll do you and you will hold we'll hands. Do it.
1: Now we thanking the
0: universe for it and praying and hoping and thanking and all of that. And, and, and see, here's the thing too, because this is this this is the part, Kick it. Jeremiah, that I have to that I'm working on. Okay, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. when I see people put comments in there, I have to work on tact. Like what? Not to uh, jump on them and say what is your ass listening to? Because now someone said, oh, so now we want God to feed us, we want God to think for us, we want God to cook for us. What we saying is no. We've been given the will to do it our damn self. And perhaps
2: that's what they may have been saying.
0: No, daddy. This has been somebody here that's been going back and forth with slick shit. Okay? So it ain't no. I know what's on their mind. Right. They've been going back and forth with slick shit. So what we're saying to you is, (laughs) no, what we're saying is do it for yourself. And stop waiting for the Savior to come in to save you. Now imagine with that mentality, and then you pour it into your children. So now you have your children walking around. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord. And they never give themselves the real opportunity to prove to themselves what they made of. And then when they do get it, you then want to give the credit to, God gave it to me. Well, what about all the nights you stayed up throwing those free throws side stuff? Right. Like all those nights. Right. And we're
2: less apt to help one another. Come on. If I'm not gonna get the credit anyway. Now here's what here's the most common statement that you're gonna get, okay? You're talking about faith. Now let's look at that word for a minute, okay? Faith is the only word that I've seen in the Bible that is defined and described in Webster's dictionary style terminology. Not love, not God. Not anything, not hate, but faith. They painstakingly took the time to outline and to draw up what faith is. Faith is the uh, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is a dictionary term. Why did they take the time out to do that? Because they knew that it would ultimately clash with common sense Mm -hmm. and logic. So they did that. So they say faith without works is dead, y'all. You still got to work it. That is one of the most redundant remarks that I've ever heard. This studio that we're in is dead without works. Somebody had to work and bring this equipment in. This building that we're in, getting this central air, getting the, 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 our mobile devices around here, everything is dead. Tell me something that's, not, that's alive without works. Everything is dead. So to say that is such a redundant remark. You have to work everything. But listen, on one hand, it says faith without works is dead, but not works without faith. Mm -hmm. See, if I start building something, but I don't have the faith, as long as I keep working, it's going to come about. But faith is dependent upon work. Work is not dependent upon faith, though. And that brings me to a point of a biological requirement believe people and i wish you know we could turn the volume up on this right here belief is not a biological requirement i'm sitting here i have water this is a biological requirement food rest you know these are things that are biological requirements it is not a biological requirement that I believe in anything. You have some of the most generous and gracious people that I know that don't know a word of the Bible who will give you their shirt off of their back. And some of the meanest judgmental folk talking about you going to hell are your biggest believers. So when you leave here, just understand it's not a requirement that you go out and pick up the book and you read it. If you want to do it, read it. But of course the Bible's going to have some good things in it. There's not one book that you can find on the shelves of Barnes and Nobles or Borders if they're still open or whatever, or any other b- a black bookstore, Nubian bookstore, or whatever. There is not one book that you're not going to find something good and true in it. The Bible is no exception. Does it have some truth in it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is it a requirement for life? Absolutely not. And
1: I always looked at oh. the, the the title itself of Bible. And as a child, I used to wonder, what were the origins of that? Because it made me look at the word Bible. And the only thing that I could closely relate to Bible is if I broke down the word by as in two, like two meanings, and able or able like a fable. So it was almost like a two-meaning fable to me where it was designed to give you informations or proverbial sayings that you can relate to from a universal right. principle standpoint. But then at the same time, the buy is almost like the level of fiction in the stories to direct your belief to be whatever it was and not to um, dispute what you're saying regarding belief. It's always I like to qualify for the individuals that like the loopholes. It's like you don't need, in order for your work to be successful, you don't need to have belief in a higher being as much as you do that the work that you're doing, you believe that it can, it, it, it's something beneficial in what you're doing, which will make you stay consistent, versus you're believing that there's a higher being. So somehow it's gonna rain today and the crops are gonna be. As opposed to it was supposed to rain
2: today, you know? Right. Something scientific behind it. We think that if we stop believing or we start asking questions, we're gonna spontaneously combust. I used to think that that step from off of belief was a 10, a 30 story drop. Mm-hmm. Wow. I found out it was two inches.
0: Wow. It
2: was two, and there are a lot of black people as I travel around this country. That are and we're specifically talking about African-Americans, but don't think that white that, you know, our problems are exclusive. Whites have the same issues, but we're believing while broke. <laughs> There's a difference. OK, mm.
1: but BWB is
2: that believing while broke. So, so, so here we are, you know, with this whole this whole just got this and it keeps going off Um But it's just a two-inch drop. But we think that if we question, oh, man, I'm not going to go home. I'm going to go home. My house is going to be gone. That's the fear that we have to get over. See, we're grieving, and we really don't know it. Grief is not just the pain that you feel from the loss of something. Grief is also unmet expectations. We have expected Jesus to save us. And he hasn't, we have expected him to change our financial situation. And he had, we expected him to save our grandmother. And he didn't, we expected when our, uh, you know, loved ones were injured for their injuries to be healed, but they weren't, we expected. And in grief, there are five stages to recovery. And you notice this whole process in religion, the first stage in religion, when you try to talk to somebody, is what denial. You got to be crazy. That Jeremiah Kamar, he crazy as hell. You know, the second is anger. You're going to defend your God and your belief. Yes. The third is bargaining. Well, you you are making some sense, but uh, I'm gonna stick. I'm still going to church. Mm-hmm. The fourth is depression. I realize I've been had. I realized I've been hoodwinked. Mm-hmm. And the fifth is the stage we all need to get to is acceptance. On that note, brother, what we're going to ask you is this, because our time is our time.
1: Would you please come back and do it with us again? I would love to. You,
0: you must, because it's so funny. The five things you named was all the emotions folks went through in this Periscope. I'm sorry. Right. Everything you named, mm-hmm. you watched the people go from, right. they got mad. You watch him go from, well, he do have a point. You watch him go from, well, that shit might be true. Like, you watched it happen. So we must do a part two. I would
2: love to do a part two. And we need to discuss this. This is an elephant in the room, I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. We have to discuss this as African Americans because I'm telling you, if you don't deal with this monster of religion and not just the money aspect but the psychological aspect, we're going to keep sliding down this slippery Mm -hmm. slope.
1: And let me say to the believers out there, which it, we would suggest is this, because I have not read the book, The Bible, from cover to cover. However, if you're going to fight your good fight, I would suggest you read the book from cover to cover because you're talking to a man and brother Jay that has. So when you say what makes you the expert, I don't know if he's classified himself as an expert, but knowledgeable in the fact that
2: he took the time to read. How long did it take you to do that? Uh, Three or four months. Three or four months. And, and the next show, let's talk about spirituality. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Let's break that down. Let's break it down. Let's break it down.
0: Well, we want to thank every last ear for listening, every last eye for looking. This was the show, baby, that we were really excited. We're excited about all the shows. All of them. But whenever we get on these subjects, we seem to learn something and find out something new every time we talk about it. So please pass the word about this show, Bible Teachings or Slave Sermons.
1: You be the judge.
0: My name is Monique. And my name is Sydney. And like my daddy always say, the mind is like a parachute.
1: It's no good unless it's open.
0: We love y'all
1: for free.